From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to AutoLine Detroit. We're devoting this entire show to talking about the latest cars that have come out that qualify for the North American Car and Truck of the Year Award. And the reason I've got two people here is because Michelle Krebs with Edmunds.com is also a juror on the North American Car and Truck of the Year. Great having you here on oh, AutoLine Detroit again. And Tony Swan from Car and Driver is also another fellow juror. And Tony, great having you back on the show as well. Thank you very much. Well, let's start out talking with luxury cars and see where this whole conversation takes us because we've had a lot of vehicles come out this year. Not all of us have been in every single one of them, but Michelle, let's start with luxury, as I said, the Cadillac CTS Coupe. What do you make of this thing? Well, a beautiful car, although you could argue the, the back end is a little hefty, uh, but uh, yeah, it falls into a segment. Coupes are not very popular in the United States, so it's clearly going to be a niche vehicle. Tony, what do you make of this car? I think that, uh, you know, hefty rear ends, let's think about Jennifer Lopez, it seems to work for her. <laughs> and I think it's an absolutely gorgeous car, but Michelle's right, this is going to be uh, a small market vehicle. Even more so, the Cadillac uh, CTS wagon and the CTS V wagon, which I love. But how many of them are they going to sell? Nine? Well, what's Cadillac thinking about? Coming out with cars like the wagon, which I love too, and I, I think the coupe is beautiful, I'll go with that, but to you, both of yours points. Coupes and wagons, especially in the luxury segment, really don't do a whole lot sales-wise. Well, and I think Cadillac's having some struggles and back to soul-searching again as to what it is and where it's going to go, especially now that General Motors is down to four uh, model uh, brand Divisions, lines. Yeah, right. right. So I think they've got to do some rethinking because they, they, they've had a tough time this year. Well, also their footprint, effective footprint, is the CTS. So I think they're trying to exploit that as much as possible. And I understand that, but, you know, again, to put all this investment into cars that aren't going to sell, even in the best of times, is, is kind of questionable. Tony, another one that uh, you've been in that you liked a lot, the Infiniti M56. There's the, the M56 with the V8 and the M37 with the, the, the V6. What do you make of these cars? Well, there's a car. Infiniti uh, has been trying to be in there with the BMW uh, 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 5 Series in the case of the M37 and to a lesser extent, the M56. And I think, Michelle doesn't entirely agree, but I think it's a gorgeous car. Beautiful interior, terrific performance, and uh, great styling. So what's not to like? Well, I thought there was a level of refinement. I drove the M37. I just thought there, it was one of the first Infinities that I'd gotten into that I just didn't fall in love with. They've always surprised me at how good they were. I just thought it was a little bit unrefined. The ride was a little rougher than I would want it to be. Very interesting. Maybe they rushed this thing to market without uh, going through the like. development as that's much as they should That's what it felt like have. to me. Well, of course, it's a sports sedan, and uh, that's part of the deal. Although they are, they have, BMW wrote the book on that, uh, compliance with, with good uh, response. And nobody, well, almost nobody, we're going to get to it later, has, uh, has come, come close to them. Infinity is pretty close with this car. Well, let's talk about BMW then. You've been in both the new 5 and the new 7. Is BMW up to its normal standards? BMW is superimposing all of this electronic gee whiz stuff on their cars. Fundamentally, down there in their soul, they're still athletes. But I'm not sure that 
the overlay is going to be entirely successful. Because they're so heavy, the cars? Well, that's another thing. Of course, all cars are gaining weight, and part of that is safety requirements, and it's almost unavoidable. But it's interesting that we have two branches of the government, the EPA and the uh, NHTSA, uh, at, at odds with one another, because NHTSA, everything that they're mandating, makes the car way more. EPA, oh, you got to have better fuel economy. Can't have it both ways. Yeah. I think the other interesting thing about the 5 Series, I haven't driven it, but I've seen it. Uh, they've gotten rid of all the Chris Bangle uh, cues, especially on the butt. We're talking a lot about butts today, aren't we? Um, <laughs> but uh, they've gone back to a more conservative look, and I wonder how that will play. It's, it is a very traditional BMW look, and uh, you have to look closely to see that it's a new car. I don't know that that holds them back because uh, they have a lot of devotees. And one thing I'd point out is even though the, the funny flame surfacing and the bangle butt, as it got named on the original 7 Series or the, the current generation one, was done with Chris Bangle running BMW design, Adrian Van Hoydunk actually did the 7 Series under Bangle, and he never got criticized for it, and now he's running all of BMW design. Mm -hmm. So just, just a point of clarification. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, they took so much heat for it, they, they backed off. He had to back off. He mm -hmm. did. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum, small cars. Tony, Ford's coming out with the Ford Fiesta in showrooms right now. Boy, have they been hyping this car. Ford Fiesta, and of course, I've, been, uh, I've driven several of them in Europe and uh, have driven a, a Eurospec car across the country from New York to Seattle. You wouldn't think that that would be a great car to travel across country in, but it was terrific. And I think they've done a very good job. Uh, they had to do a sedan. They felt they had to do a sedan version for the North American market because we don't buy hatchbacks. Uh, I might point out that the Versa, which is the best-selling car in the segment, 75% uh, of their mix is hatchbacks, and those are the most expensive in their lineup. Uh, the only thing I think about the Fiesta is that it's a delightful car, but they may be a little pricey. It is a little pricey, and uh, now wait a minute, because we're talking about what about uh, fourteen seven yeah, or something like it'll that. Transact in the sixteen area. So. Oh, it, it will transact, uh, yeah, but, but the base price is about fourteen thousand seven hundred dollars. Right? You can't get a hatchback for that. Right. I mean, we're ta we're talking about a, a vehicle that's got a lot of stuff in it. Um, we'll see if that formula works, but. Uh, Certainly. I mean, we've been hearing about it for a long time. I, I really like the car, and I think it'll do a lot. And Ford's had a lot of hits here, so I think this will be another one. Tony, you mentioned driving the European version. The, the U.S. one, largely through the tires, is not as crisp and as, not as quite, nimble. Not quite, but it's, it's very good. No, the, the responses are very good. The only thing that holds it back a little bit in the U.S. version is the tires. We, the car that I drove across the country had a much sportier tire on it. But aside from that, I think that the dynamics are, um, you know, be hard to criticize. Dump, be hard to criticize. Dump. I think they're going to make uh, a European spec tire or something akin to that available as a dealer option. I, I know they're eyeing it. Well, and I would say that's uh, such a small segment of them. And think about our roads here. Oh, you know, <laughs> riding on European spec <laughs> right. tires all the time might be a little tiresome. Another small car coming out, the Honda CRZ. What do you make of this one? Kind of a puzzle, you know, isn't it? It's a total puzzle to me. It's sort of the. It's answer. a hybrid. We it's, should point it's a out. hybrid. It's a sporty hybrid, which sounds like an oxymoron, and um, it's it sort of is to me an answer to a question nobody asked. I mean, and no back seat, which I find that interesting. Only a two seater, right? Which don't mean, sell in big volume. No, and uh, you know, I drove the manual version, which is fun to drive, but uh, that's not what they're going to sell the most of. So I, I, it's a puzzling car to me. They're only looking to sell fifteen thousand, but Honda struggled with all those little niche vehicles around the edge. Um, well, in some ways, it's the resurrection of the old Honda CRX without 
the CRX Spirit. We, that was a very exciting little car. But they wanted to capture that. They're, they're, they're projecting this or pro promoting this as the successor I'm to the CRX. Sure it's going to do that. People who, are, uh, who remember the CRX, which was quite a long time ago now, uh, are not going to buy into that. And on the other side, you've got the Honda Fit, which is a fun car to drive, Absolutely. a lot of utility, certainly less money. One powertrain. One powertrain. Uh, you know, it isn't very complicated. and uh, Almost gets the same fuel economy. And too. almost right. the same fuel economy. Well, that so. was the other thing about the CRZ. They, they didn't go over the, the, that magical 40 miles per gallon that a lot of the small cars are going for. Um, so why have two uh, powertrains when you're not going to get the limiting factor is going to be the two-seater thing though absolutely i mean yeah. who is it for young people without friends i mean <laughs> this is a generation that wants to connect with everybody they hang, they hang together they hang yeah. together to your point too uh michelle a very good one you know they're they're saying they're only going to sell fifteen thousand a year in the u.s mm -hmm. market right. but when they showed us a chart of where they see things going i mean i projected out they think this is going to hit fifty thousand a year and when i asked them about hey go back to that chart boy they didn't want to talk about that at all so i think they know this thing is not going to sell in big numbers right the mazda 2 another small car direct competitor to the ford fiesta well, I haven't driven it yet. I haven't driven it either, but our staff has, and based on the same architecture as the Fiesta, but uh, our staff is saying not as good as a Fiesta. Yeah, well, name why. Why don't they well, think it's not as good? as good a transmission. They have a four-speed uh, in the uh, Mazda. Um, and Ford's just, got, what, a six-speed yes. dual-clutch transmission yes, exactly. in the, the exactly. Fiesta. So uh, we think maybe it goes back to the fact that it's an old, you know, they are building off the platform from before. It's really a two-year-old car that we're just now seeing as new. Not uh, not as much content as right. Fiesta, not as many goodies available, Right. Uh, not as much power. Uh, probably going to be a cheaper uh, entry price point, right. but that's about it. It is a cheaper uh, price point, but not by a whole lot. Right. So that, that, that's going to be a tough one for That them. segment is price sensitive, though. If any segment is price sensitive, it's that one. That, that's a good point. And there are styling differences. The cars right. do look mm -hmm. different, so yeah. Mazda might be able to make some hay with that. Well, I think that the uh, Fiesta hatchback in particular is a very snazzy-looking, uh, saucy-looking little car. I think are it looks going great. going back to that car, do you see something there? Well, you know, uh, we'll see if America really does catch on to hatchbacks. But I thought your point about the Versa was very interesting. I wasn't aware of that. It 70%. was very interesting to me in writing a, a test about the Fiesta and uh, referring to that and, you know, this emphasis on the sedan. Uh, and that's going to be the, the uh, in their mind, I think, the volume seller. But then you look at uh, another example is the Golf and the uh, Jetta. In Europe, the Golf is the big seller by far. Here, the Jetta outsells the Golf hatchback by six to one. So, to tell you I don't know. Who are you going to believe? <laughs> right. Let's bump it up a size and go with sedans, the new Hyundai Sonata. Michelle? The Hyundai Sonata's got to be a big contender for the car of the year. Um, they are selling in the volumes, if they could even churn out more, they might beat them, the, of the Accord and Camry. They made the right bet on a uh, four-cylinder engine only. It's beautiful. You feel like you get way more for your money in that car. So I, I, and it's the heart of the market. So I always like those value cars that are in the heart of the market that real people can buy. Four-cylinder only to, at launch uh, because they've got a right. turbo version well, coming and they've got a hybrid version coming. But I think it's an absolute home run for Hyundai. And those people are on a roll. And that car looks great. It drives great. Uh, there's nothing not to like. And the pricing is, is uh, very attractive. I'd say, too, uh, most Americans who buy midsize sedans will not even know that it does not have a V6 in it. 
the power in the four is just that good. They, they've just got a great balance between everything there. And that's a booming segment. We, we took a look at that segment. The midsize sedan market is really growing, and I think a lot of it has to do with entries like Sonata. The other thing, too, is uh, that's make this car, the Sonata, such a wake-up call, I think, for the industry is it gets phenomenally good fuel economy in the real world, better than the EPA label. I was driving down the freeway, going a little over the speed limit, 75 miles an hour, just to see for, for test oh, sure. purposes. Absolutely. Four people in the car, the air conditioning running, 75 miles an hour, we were getting 40 miles to the gallon. And this is a midsize sedan, it's not a hybrid. I mean, the hybrid guys are gonna have to run for cover when you see that kind of fuel economy coming out of a car. Like you say, everybody can afford this. Right. What, what the base price is under 20 grand. Right, right. And uh, that's, that's a sweet spot in today's Absolutely. market. Well, the, the bloom is off the rose with hybrids, too. I mean, just mm -hmm. because uh, fuel economy or fuel prices, fuel prices have kind of leveled out and they're, and they're being steady. And so you see the market creeping back up, the bigger stuff. Look at trucks. F-150 is back to its accustomed perch, you know, is the best-selling vehicle in America. And people don't want to pay the premium for two powertrains. Right. You can get the same, you know, fuel economy elsewhere. So let's talk uh, about a car that's got to be near and dear to your heart, the Mustang. Oh, love the Mustang. And uh, this is another example of Ford doing the right thing. For a long time, they were taking a backseat and powertrain almost across the board. And all of a sudden, now they got two engines for that car. And V6 and V8. A V6 and a V8, and they are terrific engines. They uh, avoided uh, doing direct injection with the V8, and uh, it, it was a matter of cost. They're very frank about that, but the car delivers pretty good fuel economy as a result. I couldn't give you the numbers. But 30 boy, miles per gallon, or 31, yeah. I think, highway with the V6 with over 300 horsepower. It's, it's astonishing. But that and baby performs, and new transmissions to go with it, six speeds, automatic and manual. It's uh, a much more exciting car and uh, revitalizes that, uh, that brand. What do you make of the Mustang? Well, I mean, it looks so cool, too. So. <laughs> it looks so cool, getting a little familiar, but that doesn't mean it looks bad. Mm -hmm. Let, let's go to the opposite end of, of the spectrum, then, from the Mustang, you know, uh, performance pony car, the Nissan Leaf, all electric, which you've had a chance to drive in Japan. I've driven it in Japan, and it just behaves like a little car. You know, it doesn't make any noise, and uh, it's about as exciting as a mashed potato. Uh, <laughs> but, of course, people aren't going to buy that car to be excited in. It's a commuter car, and I think the key to Nissan's potential success here is a range, a claimed range of 100 miles on one charge, which means they see it as a commuter car, they recognize that the owners are going to have two or three other cars, but if they've got a commute that is within that range, then they don't have to worry about charging it downtown or somewhere else. A lot of electric cars, you're still talking about 30, 40 miles. This thing, 100 miles, could get it done. Do you think it'll get a, a genuine hundred? And the only reason I'm asking that is in the real world, as opposed to the EPS, EPA test cycle, some of these electric cars look like they're coming up short. It, who knows? So much of it depends on the way you drive the cars. But uh, I think it could do pretty well. Just, and, of course, this is based on driving around some test track in Japan. But looking at the consumption gauge and um, making some conclusions about standing on it hard and standing on it easy, could do well. I don't know. What do you think, Michelle? Well, I, I have questions about the whole electric car market, as many of us do. I mean, gas, sure. gas prices low. I mean, you can track it. Hybrid sales go up when uh, gas prices go up. 
come back down, sales go down. And I think the same will be true of hybrids. And right now we're in a low gas price, relatively low gas price uh, period of time. Um, so that's my big question about it. And, you know, it, there's a lot of incentives on that vehicle to bring the price down. Um, those aren't going to last forever. Uh, so then what happens? So it may get this big spurt. Early adapters, uh, yeah. yeah. And how many are, we just don't know how many there are. I we mean, you know. look at the hybrid market, it's 2% of the market on a good day. Of course, uh, none of us have driven at least the production version of the Chevy Volt, but since that's got an onboard engine, so when the batteries go, go dead, you know, uh, you can just have the engine click on. If the engine runs out of gas, you just fill it up and keep on going. Do you think that's a smarter approach then? Well, certainly I think it's a, a smart approach for certain uh, certain people in, in certain areas. I mean, I think a, a vehicle like the Nissan Leaf makes much more sense in Los Angeles, for example. But, you know, where you have long stretches like we do here in the Midwest, uh, you know, maybe the Volt makes more sense. I Still, I just have a lot of questions about the future of these vehicles. I can't imagine. And who that, will buy them? Yeah. I can't imagine anybody's going to consider that car as something where you would drive to Toledo even every day. Um, the other thing is that are they going to consider something? We're talking about thirty-five grand, right? It's a lot of dough. It is for a little car that you can't drive it. You know. Yeah. What, what do you think of uh, versus the Volt with the onboard engine, the the range extender? Is that a smarter way to go? No, it, until they get the cost out of the thing. Right. I just don't think it's going to be. You know, they've been getting so much mileage out of that car, press wise. For such a long time, well, let's see the proof of the pudding now. Right. I'm, I'm very skeptical. First, they have to build them and build them, you know, bulletproof quality. Yes. And no techie problems. Um, and then where's the market and how big is that market? I, I, I think actually they'll build them just fine. I, I've actually been very impressed because I was very skeptical when hybrids first came out. I said, yeah wait four or five years down the road and the batteries go kaput and then somebody's looking at a $5,000 battery replacement and the resale value of those cars will go away. Well, guess what? The batteries have been unbelievably strong. They last forever, it seems. It's been one of the surprises with the Prius. Absolutely. No question about it. Now, the one thing that is interesting is hybrids do depreciate faster right. than non-hybrids. So that's something that telling you the, the used car market, even though these batteries have been remarkably robust, there's got to be something in the used car market of people just worrying, I'm not sure I want to buy this car because I could be facing right. a big bill. And electric cars, I would think, would only exacerbate that right. problem because when the batteries go on that, the car just does not move. You have to put more batteries in there. Part of Nissan's program, though, is uh, they're kicking off with a, uh, a recycling program uh, that's baked into it. And uh, I think that's smart. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Right. So you can just swap the batteries yeah. out and get uh, new ones in as And that's a very good point because, you know, you think about hand-me-down cars right. like what we had when we were kids. Uh, that's not going to be possible, you know, with the current system. And also, I might add that, uh, to Michelle's point, uh, right now, Priuses are going begging, you know. Right. So... Uh, yeah, just, they need a uh, rise in uh, gas prices yeah. to pick up sales. I think that uh, a, a more likely uh, success story for Chevy is going to be the cruise. Absolutely. That is so much more an important car, really, in the scheme of things. Well, none of us have driven it yet. No, Otherwise, we'd be able to talk I'm about European it. European versions of it, but... <laughs> 
Aha. Uh -huh. And you like the, the European versions of it. Very promising. You know, that's a change that we're seeing in the American market. We all grew up in an era where the latest and the greatest came out in the American market, and then it showed up elsewhere right. in the world, especially from the Detroit 3. Now we're getting the Ford Fiesta. Finally. We're, we're only just getting it. The rest of the world has had it for two years now. Uh, same with the Chevy Cruze. My gosh, it's available in China, right? And we don't even have it here in this country right, yet. Right. So kind of a weird way this thing has flipped the, around where America is getting the best stuff last. Fiesta's in its sixth generation, and they did not plan originally to bring that car into the U.S., but then they looked around, and of course, at that, at that time, gasoline's $4 a gallon, and uh, Fit, Honda Fits and all these others are, are selling like crazy. They're, it's much softer now in that segment, subcompact. So tough time to be coming in. We haven't talked much about the trucks on the North American Car and Truck of the Year Award side, but Tony, you've been in uh, the Infiniti QX56. They're big. They're a big monster. They are big. It's up there in that luxury uh, class with the Escalade and the uh, Navigator. And this is, uh, I, I don't know that everybody realizes, but it's an all-new vehicle. It's based on the Nissan Patrol which is now in its seventh generation. And that's a, a vehicle that is really off-road capable and has done very well, particularly in the Middle East, kind of like the Toyota Land Cruiser. And uh, different platform. They've abandoned the old uh, Titan pickup platform. Very refined vehicle, and, and I think it looks good, not nearly as much bling as the Navigator and the, uh, and the Escalade, and lots of power, terrific ride. It's, it's a lovely vehicle, very refined in every way. That's and very a interesting. Vehicle. A, a niche vehicle. vehicle because because that segment has just sure, gone Sure, sure. So I mean, they're putting a lot of chips on that square. I mean, is that market going to uh, continue to decline? Um, they seem to think that uh, they can uh, make some hay there. I was not aware that it was based on a new platform. They're, they're getting off the Titan pickup and going to the Nissan Patrol, huh? Correct. Very interesting. And we'll move. never see the Patrol in this country. So there isn't going to be a Nissan equivalent this time. It's just going to be the QX56. A couple of others that are uh, on there, uh, crossovers from Hyundai and uh, Kia, the Tucson and the Sorento. Mm -hmm. and any comments on that, Michelle? Um, you know, solid entries, but, you know, they didn't do for me like what the Hyundai Sonata did, not a knock it out of the park, beat all the competition, just, you know. They're, they're competent right and they're nice, yeah, but yeah, nothing well, to set the world on fire exactly. with. Exactly, huh? yeah, that's and how I felt about it. And also, when I leave here today, I'm flying out to California. I'm going to drive a uh, uh, new uh, Mitsubishi Outlander. And boy, that's an important vehicle for them if they're going to survive in this market. Are they going to survive? Because their sales are abysmally low right now. I don't understand, you know, the economics of, of their survival or their survival potential. It doesn't make any sense to me. But then, you know, there are only two guys in the world who understand the total economic situation, and they don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> Mitsubishi and Suzuki, both in the same boat. How, how long can they last? That's uh, really odd because, you know, a couple of years ago, Suzuki especially was saying, you wait till we get these new products in our lineup, the SX4, the Kazashi. Man, we're going to knock it out of the park. We're going to sell over 100000 a year. Seems to me they're coming up about 80,000 units short right. of selling 100,000 a year in this market. I, What's I don't wrong even with I, them, Michelle? I, I mean, Well, they can't, they, you know, no marketing that they can get them heard. Uh, just, uh, and I don't know how the dealers survive. That's the puzzling thing to me. I mean, I did some calculations at one month, uh, Suzuki dealers were averaging about four vehicles uh, a dealer, and they're, you know, low-margin vehicles. So, I, I Well, how many of them are, are, do they have standalone dealerships? 
Well, not a lot are They're all dual, aren't they? Yeah. But even if you're dueled, you know, how do you support that franchise? That's right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Four or cars, four cars a month yeah. on average. Yeah. I mean, that's Kizashi not... is really quite a good car. Uh, it's probably the best thing they've done for us uh, that we've seen in this country. But it's in a very tough market. It's in there with some cars that are even better. So. Uh, how do you uh, translate that into yeah. cash? I, I think it comes back to what Michelle said, though, too, is they don't have the money to do the marketing that the big boys do, so Even to speak. Mazda, which is much bigger, still has a hard time. Oh, you know. Mazda, you know, I, I love their cars. I, I love the, the zoom zoom, yeah. if you will, that's in them. But, man, uh, their sales just seem to be uh, not really going anywhere. Right. They're, right. they're doing okay, but mm -hmm. with the kind of product they have, you'd think they'd be doing a You're whole lot better. You're competing against the Toyotas and Hondas of the world, and now Hyundai. Um, it's very hard to hear. Well, to and hear their, you know, their sporty persona is uh, the centerpiece of it is the Mazda RX-8, which is a wonderful chassis, Miata. and it's got this rotary engine, which is an absolute technological dead end. That thing has no future, and they've got to cling to it because that's their identity. Boy, I don't know how you... And Miata, too. Yeah. Sales are pretty dreadful. Look, we're going to have to wrap this up here, but I want you guys to come and join me at the end of the year when we've been in all these vehicles, see everything that's come out, and then we'll decide what's the best of the best and predict which one is going to win the car of the year and which one's going to win the truck of the year. But, Michelle Krebs, great having you here again. Tony Swan, great having you, and thank all of you for having tuned in.